0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Proverbs, chapters 16 and 17. As we make our way through the scriptures, we're in the book of Solomon, written for his son, to help him with the pitfalls of life. And uh, we have quite a few sidetracks to the New Testament, as uh, my pattern has been up till this time is to read through the entire chapter, maybe go back and highlight Maybe just one verse and capitalize on that. I think we're going to stop more in 16 and 17. There's just so much in here. Let's begin by looking at chapter 16. We'll just read the first two verses. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The second verse, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Until a person is convicted by the Holy Spirit, which John 6 tells us that's the primary reason the Holy Spirit was given, is to bring about a conviction. How can a person be saved unless people are sent out to preach the gospel? People are not aware of their sinful nature until they're confronted with it. So until a person hears the gospel, or until a person reads the scriptures, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Now with this verse, I'd like you to turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 7. And Paul addresses this reality that until the law came, and I'm just going to interject that in saying until the Bible came, Until he heard it, let's pick it up um, where he talks about until I heard the law, let's pick it up in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law a sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known. And that's what I want to emphasize. I would not have known, because everything would have been right in his own eyes. Paul said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning the law, he says, perfect. Got it down. Until... It said, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. So before the scriptures are presented to a person, and you begin to understand that the Bible is like a great big beer that you hold up and you look in, and you begin to see all the imperfections. Prior to that, like Proverbs 16:2 says, that a man in his own eyes, looks pretty good. Verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. In other words, the more he tried to fulfill what the law actually said, it realized just what a predicament he was really in. He couldn't do it. For sin, verse 11, taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment's holy, and is just, and there's good. There's nothing wrong. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. See, but it's the knowledge of the word of God that brings about that conviction. It converts and brings that awareness. Uh, Verse 13, has then what is good become death to me? Question, certainly not. But sin, that it may appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So the sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The very fact that he's now aware of it um, is producing in Paul what he is saying. It's something, I'm exceedingly sinful. And the, the farther you walk with the Lord and the longer you go on with the Lord, two things happen. You realize how good he is and how unrighteous we are. So anyone you want to say amen to that? And so it continues, For we know that the law is spiritual, But here's the problem. I'm carnal, sold under sin. Nothing I can do about it. I was born into it. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Everything, again, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. It brings about this awareness, this great need uh, that we have. But how do we, again, how do we come to that awareness? Well, through the book that you're holding in your laps tonight. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. I agree. I want to always do the right thing. I always want to please God, and we all do. The problem is we don't. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, sin is the issue. And what brings about this awareness of my sin is the word of God, the law of God. The law of the Lord, again, is perfect, converts the soul. I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I read it, I look at it, I say, this is right, this is good, this is the way it should be. But then I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It runs through our DNA, our blood, every part of our being. Oh, and then he comes to this truthful conclusion. "O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So this awareness. But again, let me be repetitive with verse 2 of Proverbs. The ways of man are right in his own eyes until he is brought to this awareness. And this awareness of our sinful nature only comes through this book that you're holding in your hand. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm a goner. I have no hope. I can't do it. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So we got this battle going on 24-7. And um, the only defense is um, a continuation of the, the Bible talks about being washed in the word. So here we are, Wednesday night Bible study. And it's like uh, physically saying, you've worked all day, you're hot, you're sweaty, I need a shower. And um, the Lord in his graciousness is still letting me play softball. I played softball on, on uh, <laughs> Monday night, but then afterwards I need a shower. Well, you just all you have to do is walk around in this world for a little bit and you're going to get dirty. And uh, things that you take in during the day, it's just going to make you dirty. So you need to be washed in the, the word. So I'm not going to leave that there without reading the first verse of chapter 8, verse 1. I'm in a real serious predicament. And the more I understand the word of God, the more I become aware of my sinful nature. O wretched man that I am, what hope do I have? Well, here's the good news. I thank God. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus, what he did. He took my sin. He gave me his righteousness. Therefore, if I now have the righteousness of Christ, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So basically what's going on here tonight Gang, is we're being bathed in the Word of God. It has a cleansing effect on who we are. And as it says, we're being changed from glory to glory. It's called sanctification, a sanctification process where a little by little the Lord is working in you through the teaching of His Word. All right, let's go back to Proverbs and read it again. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And again, um, this all is a result of the importance of being in the scriptures on a daily basis. Can't emphasize daily enough. We wouldn't even think twice about not eating, but the Lord says you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from me. So in the same way, you don't think about not starting your day with a good breakfast or good meals during, during the, uh, the day, um, what's more important, your flesh or your spirit? And are you giving it the calories that it needs to, to sustain you uh, spiritually? The other thing that I'll just close this, this verse with is chapter 8, verse 1 of uh, Romans. And, and that is don't let the devil beat you up. Because there is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. You're righteous as far as he's concerned. You're justified as far as he is concerned. So Revelation 12 says that uh, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Accuses you day and night. So what you have to have is a shield of faith up to what? To quench the fiery darts. What's a fiery dart? Accusations from the devil. And when they come, you go. Oh, 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 Romans eight one. There is no condemnation here. You see, it's all been taken care of. I know who I am. Paul says, I know who I am. I'm a wretched man, but I also know who my Savior is, and He gave me His righteousness. And therefore, um, get thee behind me, Satan. You just don't listen to it. You have to bring every thought. The Bible says into captivity. And it's the area of spiritual warfare is is recognizing the whispering. Um, uh, in your ear. You know, as young kids, you're watching the cartoons and one of the cartoons has the devil on one shoulder and an angel on another shoulder and, you know, try to get you to go the different ways. Well, that's, there's a lot of truth to that. You have the word of God and the Holy Spirit that you want to listen to, but at the same time, you have the accuser of the brethren in the spiritual warfare. All right, let's pick it up. Verses 3 and 4. Commit... Your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Now, the Bible says we're to acknowledge the Lord in everything we do. And some, you know, don't get carried away with it and say, Lord, what color socks should I put on this morning? I'm acknowledging you in everything you do. There's a, a, a place where you, this becomes absurd, um, and common sense needs to kick in. But, um, and big disp- decisions especially, talking to the Lord all the time, or just talking with him uh, the way Adam did in the, in the cool of the night, just having fellowship with the Lord and him enjoying you and you and enjoying him. That's what you were created for. You were created uh, to have fellowship with your creator. So commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. I wrote under, when I was studying this today, I just wrote underneath it, Sound Mind." That's what happens. Um, I'm not tossed to and fro with every little thing that blows through town. Um, I know the book well enough to know what's right, what's wrong. And it brings about a stability that's just there. And um, the more that you get rooted and grounded, then Jesus said, you're that person who built his house upon a rock. And the storms came, the winds blew, beat on a house, but it didn't fall because it was founded on a rock. The Christian life is, uh, is uh, narrow, Jesus said, and it's difficult. And that's just straightforward, black and white, telling it like it is. And um, yet, the more you're anchored with the knowledge of the scriptures, then you become sound in your mind, and um, you're not exempt from the storms of life. None of us are. But when they hit, you have a sound mind. And it's all because of the scriptures that brings that stability. Verse 4. The Lord has made all things for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Now, this is what I'm also going to go to the New Testament. The idea of the Lord making all things for himself. Who? We're going to go to three places. A good way to, to, to memorize this as we study the scriptures is certain patterns that begin to emerge um, that are interesting, like the three sixteen. Just doing a, a Bible study on the chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, well, another interesting one with this verse here, that God made all things. There's three in the New Testament. John 1, Hebrews 1, and Colossians 1, the three ones. And I'm going to take you to all three of them. So let's go to John chapter 1, where it says here in the Proverbs that the Lord made all things for himself. Gospel of John. Verse 1, John's gospel is unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call the synoptic gospels. That means they're similar. They have genealogies. John does not. And um, John's gospel is completely different because he really just wants to make one point. And he bases his gospel around seven miracles, and seven i am statements, and um, he ends the 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 gospel of John by by saying, well let's just cheat just a little bit Go to the last go to the last verse of chapter twenty. I wasn't planning on going here, but it's too good to as long as we're going to start with verse one let's begin and end up we'll go through the <laughs> we, we can say we did the whole gospel of John tonight. All right, verse 30. Um, These seven miracles and seven I Am statements. And then in verse 30 of chapter 20, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, only seven of them. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you will have life in his name. Now go to chapter 21. Verse 24 says, This is a disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are many other things that Jesus did which were written one, if they were written one by one. I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So he's making a point, but he's saying at the end, He's done so much, not just these seven miracles, but if they would be written down, this world that we live in could not contain all that he's ever done. And, boy, my mind just races with that. Because every person, you go to Psalm 139, that talks about um, everything that is in your life has been written down. Now multiply that times the billions of people that have lived since Adam and Eve. That by itself is going to fill quite a few volumes of books. Are you tracking with me? All right, now let's get back to the Proverbs that says, The Lord made all things. Verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And I have to jump over to the 14 to tie this in. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, in verse 3, it declares that the word that was with God in the beginning that became flesh, all things, not just some things, all things were made through him, And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John 1 tells us that everything that exists was created by Jesus Christ. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, verses 10 through 14. So we have, again, John 1, Hebrews 1, picking it up in verse 10, we read, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And so we read in Genesis 1, In in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So you have Genesis 1, you have John 1, you have Hebrews 1, and Colossians all saying the same things: The heavens are the works of your hand, They will perish, but you will remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up. The Bible says heaven and earth is going to pass away someday, but not God's word. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth created. Like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed, but you're the same and your years will not fail but to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Now, here's an interesting verse that talks about guardian angels. We mentioned on Sunday, one-third of, of uh, Lucifer's angels are the demons today. Well, there's millions and millions of angels. And now, concerning angels, it says in verse 14, that aren't they ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. That's a pretty good case for a guardian angel. Remember when uh, Peter was thrown into jail, and uh, the church got together, had a prayer meeting. They said, oh, Lord, uh, Peter's in jail. Please get him out of jail. And, Lord, we just pray, get him out some way, somehow. And... uh, the Lord gets him out of jail, and he goes to the prayer meeting and knocks on the door. Girl goes, who is it? It's Peter. Uh, she goes back in, and they said, it's Peter. And everybody says, can't be, it can't be Peter. It must be what? His angel. So what does that mean? Do I have an angel that looks like me? Poor guy. <laughs> well, my point is, she's, the, the, the people came back and said, no, nah, no, nah, can't be Peter. I mean, this prayer meeting had a lot of faith going for it all the way. Praying, Lord, just get him out of jail. Just get him out of jail. He's out of jail. Let me in. And uh, they finally let him in. And um, so here's a verse that points that there are angels. And we're not aware of it. There, there are angels right now here. If we have guardian angels and they're, they're there, um, they're ministering spirits. You never know when you've been protected from something, because it's not seen. And um, so I'll just leave it there. Let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 4 said, The Lord made all things. I know I'm being repetitive, but this is how we learn. Genesis 1, John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1. Picking it up here in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, whether they are visible or invisible. We just talked about angels being here, invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, these are ranks of angels. All things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things consist he is the head of the body the church who is in the is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that all things he may have the preeminence so let's go back to proverbs chapter 16 and verse 4 tells us that the lord has made all things what for himself and um, on Sunday I mentioned that uh, all things are under his feet. And then Paul goes on to say, yet we don't see everything under his feet right now. But he is going to come back, and um, he will rule and reign over his kingdom, just like he promised. And so verse 4 um, talks about even, even the day of, of the wicked for doom. Now in verse 5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Again, reflecting back on Lucifer on Sunday. Therefore, they join forces. None will go unpunished. Don't think that people will ever get away with anything. And you say, well, I've been wrong. The Bible says vengeance is the Lord and And um, I don't see the Lord taking vengeance. Well, maybe not right now. But nobody gets away with anything. If a person is unsaved, uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 real quick. And remember, John said, I suppose that if everything the Lord did was ever written down in a book, I suppose the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, here at the great white throne judgment, picking it up at verse 11, it says in Proverbs that uh, there, no man is going to get away with anything. Uh, verse 11, this is the great white throne judgment. Uh, this is not um, for the church or anybody who's been born again. These are people who have died in their sins and have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is called the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Every single thing they ever did. Um, So again, reiterating, nobody gets away with anything. Why? Because God is writing it all down. Every thought, every impure word you said, every lustful thought you ever had, it's all down. It's been written down. And um, it says that by their works they were judged by the things that were written in the books, plural, not the book of life. These are the deeds. Of people who say, "I want my day in court." Well, they're going to get it, and um, it, it makes me think of that gospel track. <clears throat> uh, this this was your life, a little chick track, and it, it shows a guy dying in his sin, and standing before the great white throne judgment, and his whole life is is going back, and all of a sudden, he's he's checking out this girl who's who's dressed kind of. Uh, not with a lot of clothes on. And I remember that part of the track goes, oh, no, not that thought, not here, not now, but there it was. And um, there's nothing you can do. You can't declare yourself innocent. It's just going to be a a recording that is going to be made aware from these books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. This is what Paul was saying. I don't want that. If, I, if that's the case, I have no hope because I don't do the things that I should. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, I am being in big <laughs> trouble. I need help. But thanks be to God, because of Jesus, there's no condemnation anymore. So if you want to be judged uh, according to your works, this is what is exactly going to happen. It says, then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Back to the book of Proverbs, where it says in verse 5, none will go unpunished. There's no exception to this rule. And that includes you and I. But our punishment was placed upon Jesus on the cross at Calvary. God, God is just. If you've if you've broken the law, then um, you're going to have to pay for it. Sometimes, um, I was showing grace uh, yesterday. Uh, I, was, I was just driving home. I was doing 40 and a 25. And I look in my rear view mirror, and there's those blinking lights. <laughs> and so I pulled over, and I go, busted. I just broke the law, and I knew it. And he comes over, I rolled out my window, I already had my driver's license out, and I, I hand it to him. He says, I got you doing 40 in a 25. And I said, officer, if you, if you said you got me going 40 in a 25, I'm sure you're right. And um, he looked at my license, and he says, um, your address uh, isn't, isn't, the, isn't the same as... Um, um, the reg- your driver's license is, is, isn't the same. We have a cons- something that's not adding up here. What's going on? I said, do you, do you want to hear my story? He says, go for it. <laughs> so we have a conversation. I says, well, my pipe's broke in my house and, on Lake Winnebago in the middle of January. We have some gracious people from our fellowship that have allowed us to stay in, in their home, and that's where I'm headed right now. And uh, he said, "Good story." And I said, "I'll be," here. and then he said, "I'll be right back." <laughs> so I'm I'm getting ready. I, I look at this as an opportunity. I'm going to get a ticket, but I also get to get, give away a God of Wonders to this guy. Um, before I was saved, I was paranoid all the time. You know, if I saw a cop and the red lights go on, I, I was wondering, "Where's my stash, and is he going to find it?" And so I was always I was always paranoid. But now I look forward to it, getting pulled over. And so he pulls me over and he comes back and um, um, he asked me what I did what I, and I had to tell him and I wanted to tell him actually. I said, well, I'm the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Appleton. And he says, I'm a Christian too. And I was handing him a God of Wonders at the same time. So um, we're sitting there fellowshipping along the side of the road after he gave me a warning. Now, he could have given me It would have been three points and 98 bucks. And he says, um, um, I'm going to let you off with a warning. So he was was showing me mercy, but uh, I could have, I broke the law. There's no getting around it. And and in this case, um, uh, he was telling me about a DVD he had just watched. He says, wow, this looks really good. I can't wait to get home to to, uh, put it on. So I had good fellowship with a cop after uh, having a, uh, and on top of it, his name was Adam. <laughs> all right. Um, so let's go on. I could tell that story for all night. I came in. I said, look at this, honey. Look what I got. <laughs> and I showed her the ticket. I said, it's a ticket. She goes, oh, no. I said, he got me off with a warning. All right, verse, uh, pick it up in verse 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. Now, I can't read that proverb without thinking about the irony of how God leads people. He actually puts a desire in your heart to do something. I want to do this. So all of a sudden, you want to do something, but then it goes on to say, but the Lord directs their steps. The classic story that I always tell is the real reason um, Pastor Chuck moved to Huntington Beach and Costa Mesa. It's because it's the he's a surfer, and uh, he loved to surf, and he would tell us straight out, "I moved here because I wanted to surf." Well, that was in his heart, but what was directing his steps was to start Calvary Chapel with twenty-five people. So, that was in his heart, but the Lord was directing him that whole time. <clears throat> All right, let's read through till we stop at verse twenty. Even through divination is on the lips of the king, his mouth must not transgress in judgment. A just weight and a balance are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, And they love him who speaks what is right. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding to be chosen rather than silver. And yet that's what men pursue today, and the The thought is that this is going to make him happy or satisfied. But the truth of the matter is, wisdom brings that contentment and understanding. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil, and he who keeps his way preserves his soul. Um, This was our text on Sunday. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I contrasted that. We use Lucifer as the proudest of all God's creation, but better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And we talked about Moses. And the main point of Sunday's message was both our choice. A person chooses to be proud. He chooses to go down that road. And I took you to the book of Isaiah. And we talked about the five I wills. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Five of them. It was a choice Lucifer made. Then we talked about Moses, the humblest man, meekest man in all the earth, according to the scriptures. And then I took took the book of uh, Hebrews 11, and it said that Moses chose to forsake the pleasures of Egypt, choosing rather to have suffering with God's people. So, uh, it was a choice that was Moses' to make rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. So as you look at verse 18, just flashing back quickly on Sunday, pride is dangerous and and walking humbly, but to do rightly and to judge love mercy and to walk humbly before our God <clears throat> is the admonition here. Um, verse 20 He who heeds words wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Now, I think the secret to happiness is really contentment. And with that, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6 in the New Testament. Whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Happy people. Chuck used to sing it all the time just, just to have fun. Happy, 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 happy are the people whose God is Lord. Uh, don't quit my day job, right? Okay, I won't. But it's a song we had fun. It's one of those early round, uh, uh, before supper, Chuck could actually get up and sing, happy, 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 happy. <laughs> and man, what it makes me think of is that song, Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> We got Lane a fish once on the wall, and if you pulled, the, pulled its tail, that's what it would, it would break into that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And uh, we put it in Lane's office, and um, uh, evidently we, uh, we played it too much because one day we came in and it was no longer gone. He had had enough with Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> All right, let's pick it up in verse 19. How to be happy, how to be content? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart will be also. We'll talk about a happy heart and being content. But here's the secret of it right here. How to be happy. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Let it shine. Uh, don't, don't hide it. Don't put a, a, a bucket on top of it, but be that light on top of a hill that could be seen. And then he says you can't have it both ways. You can not serve two masters, for you're either going to hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Well, that's another way of saying I don't want you to worry. I want you to be happy, satisfied. Do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than the food and the body, more than the clothing? And he says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, neither do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to your statue? Now Jesus is giving the rationale if you're a worrywart or you worry about things. Um, what's it going to change? Go ahead and worry. It's not going to change anything. So why do you worry about clothing? And then this sort of backhanded slap at Solomon, who's writing the Proverbs. Um, um, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, well, what are we going to eat? And What are we going to drink? Or What are we going to wear? For these are the characteristics of nonbelievers. That's what verse 32 is saying. This is what Gentiles, this is what they live for. This is what they pursue. And they are not happy. With all that, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make that your number one pursuit, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. This is such wisdom. Um, And how many people I know and you know that have no peace because of something that happened in their past. When we read forgetting those things that are behind, we're told to forget them, leave them behind. Or you know people who are worried about something that's going to happen tomorrow, and they're losing sleep over, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen tomorrow? But The Lord here says, clearly, don't do that either. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow uh, has its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here the Lord is saying, literally, you got enough going on, just worry about what's happening, take it one step at a time today. This is where the scripture comes to life when Jesus says, you're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. Well, what's the truth? Well, my past has been taken care of. You see, all my sins have been forgiven. And it's all been forgotten as far as Jesus is from the West. I don't have to worry about it. And as far as my future, well, I've been—I've read the book of Revelation, the promises that are there. I have eternal life. I have some treasure in heaven. I don't know how much. That'll be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. So my future is looking really, really good. And so what that does, if my past is secure, and I got hope for the future, it frees me up in the moment to just live and. Um, uh, as the scripture says, I could actually focus on just what's going on right now. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can set a person free. And so you're freed to, to live just, just for today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble you don't have to worry about. Don't worry about yesterday and don't worry about tomorrow. Just um, taking it a day at a time and make sure that it's a heart matter where your heart is at. If you're, Colossians 3.1 says, if you're born again, then seek those things that are above where Christ is. All right, let's go back to Proverbs. That was verse 20. We left off. Verse 21. <clears throat> the wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. That's what we're doing tonight. Just going through the Bible verse by verse. It's sweet that last worship song, the last couple songs. So just, I was back there saying, this is, this is sweet. I didn't have another word to describe it, just sweet. <laughs> Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words. I'm thinking of the, the Bible study that Cleopas and his friend must have gotten from the Lord as they had given up. They were going back. And Jesus pulls up alongside of them and said, what's wrong, guys? You look bummed out. He said, are you a stranger here? Haven't you heard what's been going on? Huh, what things? Jesus plays dumb. Well, Jesus of Nazareth, We'd given everything. We'd follow him, but he's dead, and we're going home. And he says, oh, foolish of heart. Oh, foolish of heart, and slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures say concerning Jesus. And what he does, beginning with Moses, he gives them an Old Testament Bible study. And as they're walking and talking to Jesus, what I wouldn't give to know what what Jesus spoke to them But all it tells us is the result it had on Cleopas and his buddy. And as the scripture says here, it's sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. These guys went from totally rejected disciples who were given up and going home till it was getting dark and they said, well, why don't you come on in and have supper with us? And Jesus said, okay. And we don't know. You have to speculate how the Lord Revealed himself to these guys. Maybe he went to pray. He says, let's pray, guys. (laughs) Oh, it's you. And after the Lord disappeared, it says, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke his words to us? And that's what's being spoken to here. It's sweetness to the soul. It took these guys that were so bummed and discouraged, given up, going home. They run back to Jerusalem. And they say, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Peter. So somewhere in that conversation, they had that awareness that that he had a one-on-one uh, meeting with, with Peter. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. How many people that you know think they got their act together? They don't need the Lord. They're going to make it on their own. Seems right to them, but the way is the end of death. Um. By the way, this this is uh, repeated, this verse here, in Proverbs 14, verse 12. And you say, well, why is it repeated? Well, uh, it's it's an important one to remember. But the end is the way of death. The person who labors, labors for himself. For the hunger hungry mouth drives him on. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on the lips like a burning fire. And a perverse man sows strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends he's talking about people with loose lips that like to slander and gossip, basically a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks his eye to devise perverse things. He purses uh, his he presses his lips and brings about evil, and the silver. Uh, haired head is a crown of glory it is found in the way of righteousness and in verse 17 he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city and I'll read verse 33 and then come back to verse 32 it says the lot is cast into the lap but it is every decision is from the Lord let's go back to Let's take this one right here. The lot is cast from the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Without having you turn there, in the book of Acts, oh, let's do it. Let's turn to the book of Acts. (laughs) Wasn't planning on going there, but let's let's just take a time. Because here's a perfect illustration of this taking place in Acts chapter uh, 1. It was... Peter, who stood up in verse 15, he says in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples uh, together with the number and names of about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, the scriptures have to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, This man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong. Uh, He burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. It's pretty graphic. And it became known to all dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language a keldama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let uh, no one live in it and let another take his office. So Peter is quoting Psalm uh, 109 verse 8. Let another take his office. Therefore, he says, of these men who have accompanied us all this time that the Lord Jesus went out from among us, uh, beginning from the baptism of John to the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so Basically, Peter is taking it upon himself, saying the Scripture said uh, somebody's got to take his place. It's got to be somebody who has been with us from the beginning, and actually saw the Lord ascend into heaven. And they picked two: Joseph called uh, Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, "O Lord, who knows the heart of all? Show us which of these two you have chosen." To take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, they might go and take his place. And then it says, and they cast lots. So they prayed about it, and they rolled the dice, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, the last verse of chapter 16 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but It's every decision is from the Lord. I I believe there's 12 apostles. I don't believe that the um, gift of the apostle is uh, there today. I believe he had to be an eyewitness to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So my point is um, they cast the lots and they gave the Lord Lord, we'll give you two choices. Well, we never hear from these guys again. Who do we hear from? Paul. That was the Lord's choice. He says the day that he got saved, go go tell Paul after his eyes were healed. Tell him I chose him to be a chosen vessel for me. And tell him all the things he's going to suffer for my sake. So Paul, an apostle to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle to whoever. Paul was obviously the choice, even though the disciples cast a lot, so they picked one, but it wasn't the Lord's decision. All right, let's go back now and look at verse 32. Slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one who can rule his spirit than he who takes a city. Slow to anger. Here's the characteristics of our God. The Lord, Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful. Slow to anger. And abundant in mercy. Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious. He's full of compassion. He's slow to anger and great in his mercy. What about long-suffering? Exodus 34. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Numbers 14. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Psalm 86. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Those are all Old Testament scriptures about the nature and character of God. What about the New Testament? Uh, Paul speaking to the Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit, if you're born again, is joy, love, peace, and then it says long-suffering. kind. Uh, goodness and faithfulness. To the Colossians, he write, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, be humble, meekness, and be long-suffering. Second Timothy, this was Paul writing to his young disciple. Uh, he says, Timothy, uh, but you have carefully followed my doctrine and manner of my life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, and perseverance. And judgment right now in our country is should have been here by now. Why hasn't it happened? Well, because uh, in Second Peter, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his, his uh, promises. He's coming. As some count slackness, but he is simply long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Lord, why aren 't you taking things in why isn 't judgment happen? Well, the answer is because he is long suffering with us. Chapter seventeen. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting and strife and um, here the idea is I want to emphasize quietness. I read what McGee had to say about it today. And after Elijah had confronted Ahab um, with his sin, he walks out and he says, you're not going to see me again for a period of time until I say so. It's not going to rain. And Elijah walked out. And McGee writes, well, where, where did he go? Well, he went far off to the brook Cherish where he stayed a long time alone with God God was training him out in the quietness of the desert. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therein, to have a quiet and rest in your soul. God took Moses out of the place of Pharaoh, another scene of great activity and religious organization, and put him in the desert of Midian and taught him there. Both Moses and Elijah had dry morsel and quietness therein. Jesus, in the busyness of his ministry, three years, day in and day out, it said he took his disciples and went away to a quiet place. Um, with the pressure cooker world that we live in, gang, you got to get away from time to time and find a quiet place and reboot. Somebody want to say amen? There's just so much going on, and everything is so busy, and there's so much more pressure, and we we're watching everything crumble around, Around us. The, the scriptures tell us, a book of wisdom, um, you need to get away. If the Lord had to get away with his disciples, how much more are you and I when things are, are really happening? It's important to have uh, a quiet place that you can get away to. Verse 2 A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. Uh, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. There's an analogy being drawn here that the way that God works in us is in the same way that fire um, purifies gold. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 in the New Testament. We'll just look at a couple of verses. This is exactly what. Peter says about the importance of going through trials. Now, nobody likes trials. I don't like a trial. And um, who does? But they're going to come. 1 Peter 1, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise on in glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's necessary. He says you're going to have to go through the fire in order to be purified. And so the Proverbs Teach us that the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. How does he do it? He allows the trial to come. All right, moving right along. Let's go and see how far we can get. An evil doer uh, gives heed to false lips, and a liar listens eagerly to spiteful tongue. He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. And he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. I could not read this verse today without flashing back on 9-11-2001. And um, then I saw cameras of Muslims in the Middle East dancing in the streets because the Twin Towers came down. What does it say? He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Lord's well, watching all that. Remember, nobody gets away with anything. Children's children are are a crown of of old men, and the glory of the children is their father. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. A present is a gracious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. He who covers a transgression seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. In other words, a tale bearer. Reproof is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. And an evil man seeks only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her clubs rather than a fool in his folly. And whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Let me have you turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I want to read two verses there. It says here, Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Romans, chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Verse 17 tells us that we are to repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men and if if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I like this verse because it says, "Give it your best shot. Some people are impossible just to live with, as being said, but it says here do it give it your best shot as much as you can as you can live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. If in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some people say, what does that mean? Put coals of fire on your head. Am I supposed to go and get my charcoal boiler out and dump it on somebody's head? No, it means blow their mind. That's what it means. They're not expecting you to do good when they've done you bad. So we read in verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 17, Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from that house. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore stop contention before a quarrel starts. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them are like an abomination to the Lord. Why is, why is there in the hand... Of a fool, the purchase price of of wisdom, since he has no heart for it. Um, This is our text for Sunday. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And a man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. He who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts his gates seeks destruction. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. And he who begets a scoffer does so in sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Again, here's a Chuckism as we begin to wind things up here tonight. <clears throat> a merry heart. Um, one of Chuck's Chuckisms was, "Don't take yourself too seriously, because it can, it can just be overwhelming if you're you're totally serious all the time without joking around and, and messing around." I, I had a Chris Cantona gave me a call today, and I said, "What'd you call it for?" And he said, um, uh, because I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed having Bruce Carroll do our Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and what a cool guy he is. And he said, I just wanted to call you and tell you. And uh, they went out to eat, and he, Bruce had his son with him. And his son, they were going to dinner, and they were getting—they were, were pretending they were fighting, you know, just like a father and son. And um, uh, Chris's daughter Brittany's getting married. And Brittany was with her dad, and Brittany looks at Chris and says, Dad, look at Bruce and his aunt. They're just like us. Because <laughs> they were just messing with each other. My point? You know, we're serious when it comes to preaching the gospel. But uh, there's times when, when we need to lighten up and have fun and just mess around with the brethren. And uh it's a merry heart. Merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bone. A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the way of justice. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the, on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Also, to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. Last two verses. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. I stole this from J. Vernon McGee, and I will close with it tonight. This proverb has humor to it. It says that it pays to keep your mouth shut. And then he tells this quick little story. He says, an Arkansas farmer had a son who was simple. Folks would, would say um, that he was not all there. So they drove into town with a load of apples, and the father left his son to sit and hold the reins of the horses while he went off on an errand. Now son said the father, don't say anything to anybody, Because if you do, they will find out you're a fool. The boy promised he wouldn't open his mouth. A man came up to the wagon and said, How much for your apples, son? The boy never said a word. The man asked two or three times, but the boy just sat there and looked at him. Finally, the man said, What in the world is wrong? You act like a fool. Then he walked away. And when the father returned, he asked the boy, How would things go? The boy answered, I kept my mouth shut, but they found out I was a fool anyway. (laughs) <laughs> we'll leave it at that remember don't take yourself too seriously let's stand and we'll pray lord there's so much that we can glean from the proverbs and the wisdom that's here lord everything that was uh given to us tonight by your holy spirit lord implant them into our hearts to be long-suffering and gracious to learn how to hold our our tongue when it's a when um We should be listening instead of talking. Lord, I pray you bless your people tonight as we go out. May our fellowship with one another be sweet. The nature and character as we learn more about you in the scriptures, might we take on that personality more and more each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.